Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. You want to talk about women's issues? That's fantastic. Never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world to pursue and achieve your own dreams. Welcome to Yeyear by Proxy. I'm Sydney McDevitt. And I'm Megan Mullen. This is it. Oh no. It's the final countdown. It's the final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. First of all, terrifying. <laughs> so we had a bottle of champagne to celebrate, but apparently it had a mind of its own. Well, it's open now. So, so. pop the champagne. Here we go. We're going to pour ourselves glasses and we're going to drink on air. We're always fast and loose here at Gay by Proxy, though. Kind of wondering where the cork went? Um, I, it's over there. It's behind the thing. Okay, Cheers let's go. to the last show. Woo! L'chaim, slancha, salud. All those things? All right. Anyway. That is a, that is a $10 bottle of champagne. Thank you very much. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, cheapest Prosecco I could find. Well, I mean, right. we're, we're still poor college kids. We're not employed. I, unlike some people. That's true. Uh, two out of the three of the people you hear on this show today are not employed. Yeah. So there's that. But one of them is, and she is her life together. So don't listen to anything we say. She'll be on later. Yeah, she will. I'm but. staring at her right now. <laughs> All right. Um, so here's what we're going to do for our last show. Uh, we're going to make it a little bit more of an evergreen show than we usually do. That's the hope. Uh, we're going to start off by talking about Democrats in the midterms um, and looking forward to that in November, and then we're going to have an interview with, uh, uh, um, how do you say, a uh, conservative? <laughs> a, 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 a Republican? <laughs> what what, what yeah, are those? Yay by proxy's token conservative, Meredith. <laughs> she will be on after our first break, and then we're going to take one more spin around the rant wheel, and then we will do one final let's talk about it and sign off. For good this time. For good. I don't know, maybe someday we'll revive it. Maybe. When we're both employed. We've got other things to worry about, guys. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, I'm still shaking up from that champagne. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get back <laughs> on track here. Let's go. Let's jump in with the blue wave coming in November. Fingers crossed. November 6, 2018 is the midterm election. Democrats have a good chance of picking up enough seats in both the House and the Senate to cause Congress to flip, but nothing is assured. Sure. In the latest generic ballot... 538 has Democrats at a 47.9% chance of winning back Congress and Republicans at a 39.8% chance of maintaining control of Congress. This is where I insert my rants about generic ballots, that they're actually BS and the candidate matters more than the party. And that's stupid. And I don't like generic ballots. That's all I have to say. Um, We've already started the rant wheel. What's your name? I don't know. It's Litany because it's lit here. (laughs) I hated that. (laughs) Keep it. Keep it. Um, let's talk about some key states in this election. Let's yes. start right here in Minnesota. Yeah. Megan, what's going on with Minnesota this well, year? Well, every single federal level seat is up for election uh-huh. um, this midterm. So we're a big deal right now. The only state getting more money from us, from both parties, is California. And, of course, they have like three times as many seats. Are you still <laughs> looking for the cork? No. Okay. They have three, three or four times as many seats as we do in Minnesota. So that's really saying something. Um, so let's talk about some important dates and races here yes. in Minnesota. Let's start with the DCCC's uh, red to blue list. There are three Minnesota seats on there. So the Minnesota first, Dan Feehan, which is my district, by the way. Ooh. That's my district. My district um, is not a swing district. So um, uh, Representative Walls is currently running for governor, so he will not have that seat anymore. And Dan Feehan is running as a Democrat to fill that seat. He is a former teacher and veteran, also like Tim Walls. Uh, in Minnesota, too, it's my main girl, Angie Craig, and she's running against Jason Lewis, who is uh, the incumbent. He won in 2016 by a very small margin, um, and so she's looking poised really well uh, this time around, and uh, I have a personal opinion that Jason Lewis is an absolute ding-dong, so it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> well, he, okay. That's what you come to EA by proxy for, the hot takes like Jason Lewis is a ding-dong. I mean, what's new? Like, <laughs> he's not He's not my fave. Well, it's I hate him. Okay. We're going to just leave it there. He's the worst. Okay. Um, but she primary, uh, she's primed to win in 2018, um, and she nearly won in 2016 is the main thing, and she's really rad. Um, and then in Minnesota third, 
Dean Phillips, um, who is part of a sixth generation Minnesota family and is a, is a business owner and community leader. He's also um, got very nice hair. He does have nice hair. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it now and I'm more like, all right, I would trust him. <laughs> I only trust people with good hair. I only trust people in Congress. That's why Meredith hair. is the only conservative I trust. <laughs> She's got beautiful hair. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. There are other reasons we like you. <laughs> So those are the DCCC's red to blue. Obviously, we have our two Senate seats up as well. Amy Klobuchar, who is fairly, he's, she's won by, uh, uh, she's usually taken like 60% of the vote. Doesn't well, usually upset people. No, um, she's pretty, you know, stable. But then there's also Tina Smith, who's running to um, fill out the rest of Al Franken's term in a special election in this midterm. And if she were to win, she would serve two more years before she had to run again um, in 2020. Yes. So, um, and she's really cool, and I like her a lot, and everyone should vote for her. Yep. But, yeah. And also, as you said, uh, governor is up. Mark right. Dayton is, is he out of terms, or is he just not running again? I think he's just not running again. Okay. We don't so Mark to... Dayton isn't running again, so the governorship is wide open. Right. And we've got uh, quite a few, I actually don't know any of the Republicans that are running, which is saying how much I do bipartisan research. I know, Meredith, don't look at me like that. <laughs> Um, but Tim Walls is running on the DFL side, and he's poised to be, uh, I believe he's been endorsed by the DFL, and he is poised to get that um, out of the primaries. Um, there's also uh, Tina Liebling and then a guy who used to be the mayor of St. Paul, and I, yeah. his name is escaping me right All now. Right. But um, yeah, that's going to heat up pretty fast here. Um, and let's talk about some important dates in Minnesota, because yes. I, I know some of our listeners are from here. So the primary election day is Tuesday, August 14th. It's so late. It's really late. Um, but you need to vote or um, mail in or in person June 29th through August uh, 13th and then register in advance by July 24th to save time on election day. So um, those are just important dates. Primary, August 14th. Um, vote mail in the 29th through the 13th or t June 29th through August 13th and then register in advance by July 24th. The 13th is the main one. August 13th is the primary. Go to the primaries. It's important. That's where elections are won and lost. Do it. Bam, said the lady. Yeah. Don't listen to me. I'm a lady. I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about politics or math. <laughs> Accurate. Or anything that's hard intellectually. Um, all right. Let's talk about California really quickly. Let's do it. Um, California is a huge state that will be key to Democrats uh, gaining control of Congress. They have the most Wow. They have the most congressional districts of any state with 53 and some key swing districts there include the 4th, 10th, 22nd, 25th, 45th, 48th, 49th, and 50th. Those are all from the G-Trips. Red to blue list. Um, Sorry, I'm just like... <laughs> oh, okay. I'm a lady who's bad at math. I'm having, <laughs> I'm having a hard time with um, that. An important thing about Cali, though, and why I wanted to talk about them today. California has a weird top two rule, regardless of party. So the top two vote-getters in a primary move on to the general election regardless of their, their party affiliation. This is important because some races, like the 49th and 25th, have too many Democrats running in them. This means the Dems could split the vote uh, too many ways, and California voters in those races could end up only being able to choose between two Republicans in the general election, um, which I think is Meredith's fantasy. <laughs> she didn't hear what we said. I know. It's fun because... You'll hear after. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, so this is a key state for us to be competitive in. Um, there have already been multiple re uh, Republican representatives who are not running again, like Daryl Issa. Um, and yeah, so California is important. It's also important that um, some of these races where there's just a ton of Democrats in, people need to start dropping out. Uh, California's primary is on June 5th, which is a big day. There's a lot of states having a primary on that day. Mm -hmm. Iowa's is that day. It's the Super Tuesday of primaries. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a Tuesday. No, it's the super random day of the week of primaries. Now I'm curious what day it is. <laughs> okay. It's a Tuesday. Oh. Yeah! Nailed it. Um, so California and Minnesota, I don't think any state, I think those will be the two top money states for politics in 2018 yeah easily um just with how many people are up in minnesota and how winnable california is yeah um california is generally a very blue state but has its red pockets um but also a huge immigrant population there right. uh and a really big push against donald trump i think that's why minnesota's situation is so unique right now is that like california always gets a lot of money of course because they're right. california and they have a million districts 
Um, but they're always pretty safely blue, and it depends on which district and what pockets and right. stuff. But Minnesota is pretty purple, and we tend to flip back and forth right. over the years. So we're pretty blue right now, at least on the federal level. Um, so I think that it's really interesting now that we're all up and uh, all the seats are up, rather, and right. that any of them could be a swing seat at this point. Right. So. All right. So what happens if we win back the House? All the things. All the things. More congressional oversight. Uh, Congress will again be able to perform their constitutional duties of acting as a check on the federal branch. This is key as the Mueller investigation inches closer to the Trump administration and even the president's own family, a.k.a. Don Jr. and the Kush. If it's what you say it is, I love it. The Kush. I will never get over that. Don Jr. Donnie. Um, But we need Congress to be providing oversight to this administration because they are clearly corrupt. um, And they're not doing their job right now. So get more Democrats in there and it'll happen. What happens if we win back the Senate? All the things. All the things. Trump's legislative agenda is effectively dead. Dems will have more influence over Trump's appointees. This is especially key as justices in the Supreme Court age and will have more control over the budgetary process, meaning none of the goddamn wall. What is the what is a process? A process. What is that? That's how uh, Sean Connery says process. Process. The process. Um, so the main takeaway to stop the Trump agenda, we need to win at least one of the branches of Congress. But let's win the whole damn thing and send a message to the rest of the world that this country is better than the Trump administration. Can I be a nitpicky English minor for a second? What? Is it one of the branches of Congress or chambers? Of I Congress? didn't know. It's chambers. Okay. If it's a branch, you're talking legislative, judiciary, executive. Just... You know, when I wrote it, I knew that wasn't the right word. It's okay. I just want to put it out there. I get it. You minored in English. For civics You minored in a civics language you already speak. <laughs> Stop John Mulaney-ing me. That's not nice. <laughs> Ridiculous. Street smarts. <laughs> Dear God. Um, anything else you want to say about the midterms? They're coming up. You need to vote. Please vote. Please vote. Vote that's, in your primary. Yes, please vote in the primary. Oh, my God. People don't get that that's where... Especially if you're in California. Yeah. People just don't get... The, people never show up to the primaries. Only the most polarized people show up to the yeah. primaries. So me. <laughs> me and my friends show up to the primaries. and um, Or people who are like really wickedly informed about politics. So people right. who work in the government and stuff. And um, that's, you know, how candidates are chosen. So the more polarized people that show up, the more polarized the candidates are going to be. Well, and as we know from uh, someone who refused to come on the show today, structures matter. Oh, my God. And (laughs) the structures are set up in a way that uh, would favor Democrats, but that's not enough. People need to get out and vote. Mm -hmm. Please, please, please vote. V-O-T-E. Vote. Is is that how you spell it? Yeah. English minor, Sydney. (laughs) Oh, right. Of course. Again. Yeah. But that's Minored in the language you already speak. Okay. Congratulations. You didn't make that joke up. It was John Mulaney. He I'm aware, that. but it is accurate for you. Meh, meh, meh. All right. Anything else you want to say? Uh, no, I'm going to pour Meredith a glass do you of have, champagne. Do you have feelings? I have all the feelings. All right. Uh, then, when we come back, an interview with a conservative. Yes. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, And wreck. We made it. We are here now with... Uh, our token conservative, editor-in-chief of The Failing Record here at CSB SJU, Meredith Jarkow. <laughs> Did I say it right? No, you didn't. God. <laughs> Jarkow? Jarkow. Yeah. I came is, close. This is actually perfect timing because I was told on Sunday that I have a nice, deep, raspy voice for radio, but I really just lost my voice in September and it hasn't come back <laughs> yet. Um, I, I will say I've never bothered to learn your last name because you're from Wisconsin, so that makes me respect you less. And you're from Portland. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a double Ginsburg. Um, Meredith, you are from a state that the Speaker of the House is from. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Because it makes me feel bad. <laughs> Because you do not like Paul Ryan? <laughs> you know. You know that that is, that is the full facts. Despite our very strong friendship <laughs> that blossomed this year, I'd like to disagree with you. I mean, I, it's not great that he's leaving, and I think the hill, I mean, I is, think just, great. I think the hill is just going to burst into <laughs> flames. Um, but, you know, I think he's was put into a very bad situation <laughs> and didn't have a whole lot of options, but that's a, um, I think that's something important. we could get into for hours. If you <laughs> I think it's important that, you know, that the beginning of the section 
for your interview on the rundown just said Wisconsin joke, Paul Ryan joke. <laughs> can, I go, can I go out on a limb here and agree with Meredith? <laughs> oh, How no, dare no, no, no. you? I don't like Paul Ryan, so I agree with you there. I think it's bad he's leaving. I agree with her there. No. So here's my thing. Let's get Nancy back in there. Well, yes, exactly. But we still <laughs> have <laughs> we still have a little while before Democrats can take back the House anyways. So we oh, need man. somebody with something. You're right. He's better than Steve King. Yes. And that's what we're Am I setting on. the bar too low, Meredith? <laughs> <laughs> my, right. my heart hurts right now. <laughs> because my party it. is just... On fire and not in a you good notice, way. Like you it's a notice, dumpster fire. You will of a notice party. that I have been calling you a conservative, not a Republican. Thank and you, you are welcome I, for that. I appreciate that. Um, Mary, let's get into it. Okay. As I said in your uh, lovely introduction, you were editor in chief of the record here at CSBSJU. That is our campus newspaper. So we're going to talk to you a little bit today about the media and the role of the media under the Trump administration. You down? I'm down. I gave you free alcohol, so you very. Be. I mean, I'm not complaining. I had nothing else to do besides procrastinate my final <laughs> paper. Shout out Claire Hay. <laughs> you know what? She wouldn't come on today, so we're not shouting her out. Okay. You already shouted her out. No, I subtweeted her. It's very different. <laughs> um, all right. Mayor, uh, let's start with lies. Lies. Um, what do you think the media's role is in calling a lie a lie? Because we see the media use a lot of euphemisms for lying. Um, at what point do they have to call a lie a lie, in your view? Yeah, Professional so opinion. In my professional opinion, at my collegiate publication. <laughs> um, and I'll preface this with that I'm not going into a career in journalism, right. but I think it's a very important part of our democracy, you know, the fourth estate, all of that, yada, yada, yada. But... I think that, especially when the media gets, um, like, his, even the media is polarized. You have your very far left outlets, you have your very far right outlets, and that, you know, traditionally in the past, journalism was used to hold people accountable and to, um, you know, whether it was whistleblowers or just standard reporting, hold the government accountable. Um, and so I think that it makes it hard in this polarized atmosphere to do that because each side is just each side for journalism is just saying that the other side of journalists right. are lying so I think it's necessary but I think that we need more um middle of the road centrist types of publications because it's it's impossible to do that right. when you have these polarized publications right I think that leads in to my next question well okay thank you look at these transitions yeah. we're yeah. professionals That's over great. here <laughs> um so there, there are different ways to think about media bias. Um, some people say journalists should remain unbiased um, and try and just report the facts. Others say expose the bias and know where your sources are coming from. Um, how, to what extent should a journalist remain unbiased? And where does the line of journalism cross into punditry? Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely say that at a collegiate publication, um, the reason why I fell in love with college journalism is because there isn't a whole lot of bias. You know, we don't report on super political things. We report on the administration. We hold the administration accountable when they do things that we don't like. Um, and so I think that's kind of unique to a collegiate publication. And I understand that, you know, these big media companies, they're private, you know, they're like allowed to have whatever views and whatever biases that they so choose, but I think that it, it's good to know if there is any bias in your news source, but I kind of like what I was saying before with these polarized news sources is I think that they need to come more to the middle because people just get rooted in their side and nothing gets accomplished. Um, even on Wednesday nights in the office when we're copy editing stories, we're cutting out like adjectives, right. which wouldn't seem like a big thing, but um, even just things like that, you can say something without like your opinion in it, but the, the way that you frame it, the adjectives you use, the adverbs you use can um, subconsciously, when someone's hearing that news, make it more right-leaning, more left-leaning. Right. Um, so I, it's a hard balance. I mean, we're human. You're never going to get rid of the bias, but 
um, especially with these with the current state of the media that's that's why I'm not pursuing a career right. in journalism is because it's so um, bleak and sad for someone who wants to be for someone who has a lot of political opinions I I would want to be um, an unbiased journalist so it's right. sad that there there aren't a lot of those anymore um, I want to talk to you about one specific story that you guys covered this year at the record yeah. as Megan is making odd faces. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> You're really a part of this conversation right now. It's great. Like sharing is caring. We just <laughs> like sharing this mic. <laughs> um, Megan is kneeling right now and is almost as tall as both of us. Well, because I saw how you were kneeling and kind of struggling to reach it, and I was like, I would not have a problem with that. So I was like, why don't we just switch? A giant in the flesh. Um, Leave me alone. One of the things that happened in St. Joe this year was um, white supremacist signs Mm -hmm. getting put up around uh, the town, around St. Cloud, around campus. Um, And our administration immediately responded to it and said that that hate speech had no... Uh, room on our campus and I know both the senates put out uh, a note about it and a lot of other people commented on it um you guys obviously had a news report about it Mm -hmm. um in your opinion section if you had gotten an opinion piece uh and I don't know if you did but if you had gotten an opinion piece defending the signs um at what point do you have to make the decision between freedom of speech and hate speech in your editing process yeah for sure and actually um we wrote an editorial about it the r view it's our exec board um kind of a weekly thing that we take a you know our take on different things going on on campus and so we actually wrote an r view about it and um we recognize that hate speech is free speech the you know that unless you're inciting violence um hate speech hate speech excuse me is technically protected under the constitution right but in in our editorial and, and this is the nice thing about our publication is that it's completely student-run. A lot of private universities, you have to run things by administration. But um, we're able to set different standards for what we think meets our journalistic integrity, what we want the face of the record to look like. And so in our, our view, our editorial piece, we talked about how while this hate speech is protected under the Constitution and that we are crusaders of free speech, that it's not welcomed and it's not something that the record wants to support and it's something that's discouraging to see on our campuses so we made kind of a statement in that way um hypothetically speaking if we had gotten a opinion about it there have been times in the past where we've gotten opinions that are kind of extreme and you know it's and it's a total hypothetical it would totally depend on what was in that opinion because sometimes those radical opinions can spark discussion right um if that person wrote it with the conviction saying i don't think this is hate speech because i think that would be um maybe and totally hypothetical maybe an opinion that could spark dialogue if they truly in their convictions thought that what was being said was fine but if it was an opinion just pretty much saying everything the signs were saying that you know white supremacy is good and that we don't need diversity we don't need this um that would definitely be more on the side of the spectrum where we do turn it down um i mean there have been opinions we don't run because while also the way that it's written um we've had opinions where they make a really good point but they're just hostile in nature and it's too hard to rework um so probably nine times out of ten we wouldn't run it unless it was um something that added to the conversation in a non- hostile way but as you can tell from the signs it's kind of a hostile right topic and a hostile action so um i mean we we took the stance in our, our view that we probably wouldn't run it yeah so if that i know it's super hypothetical right, i might not right, answer right. everything but right i mean i asked you a hypothetical question i have a question yeah go for it that's cool you mentioned this and i hear this a lot in the no in you're not a co-host of the show you're okay leave <laughs> first of all um you mentioned this and i know that i heard a lot in the media about the idea of journalistic integrity and i was just wondering like what specifically that meant to you as a student journalist and like how you see it being practiced on the national level like whether like it means not being polarized at all and being completely unbiased or maybe having some of those convictions but like bringing in other sides like do you have any like definition you want to provide or like how you try to live by like that rule Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the nitty gritties of journalistic integrity, um, even on this small campus, we try to not have any conflict of interest. So don't write a feature story about your roommate, you know, things like that, because obviously it's going to be biased because you know that person. Sometimes it's hard to avoid 
because we are such a small interconnected campus. Um, another big thing of our journalistic integrity and it kind of um, sets us apart from PR is that whenever we do an interview, we try our best not to do email interviews. Um, we don't like to send the questions ahead of time. We like there to be candid responses so that you know when you're interviewing you're getting a candid, truthful response and not something that the person um, could sit and think about for a while. Obviously, not always the case. We have to run some uh, email interviews, but just in a larger scope of things, um, just kind of, there have been times where one of us will write an article about something on campus and then we also want to write an R view. So the person who wrote the article doesn't write the R view because that would be bad. We take their name off the R view because if their name was to be on the editorial and on the article, that would show bias. Um, when it when it comes down to it, journalistic integrity for me is pretty much just the bias. Um, it's the big part for me, I guess, is you know making sure that the person reporting doesn't have any ties to anything, and that you're getting both sides of the story. Um, that you're not providing one side more say than the other, which is you know there's countless examples of that not happening today, <laughs> where um, you know Fox News interviews a bunch of Republican senators and congressmen. What is, and women what is this Fox News you speak of? I've never heard of this. <laughs> MSNBC also <laughs> is in their own little echo chamber. So, uh, hey, you know, uh, the echo chamber was an alternative name for the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it does kind of look like a chamber in here. So, <laughs> and it took you this long to get a conservative. So, hey. <laughs> 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 um, You really owned me there. I did. You are the Sean Hannity to my Rachel Maddow. Dear God. How do you feel about that one, Mayor? I would like to exclude myself from this narrative <laughs> that I never asked to be a part of. What's that make me? Uh, the mic guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm sad, Meredith. You come into my own house. No, do not high five. You come into my house and you oh. just drag me in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Our three listeners. I'm erasing myself from this narrative. It's excluding, not erasing. <laughs> oh, you burnt. Okay. I was um, one last question. Sure. You are off to D.C. next week. I am. To start a career. Yeah. <laughs> um, neither of us know what that's <laughs> like. Um, you, are, you are going into a, 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 how do you say, unique situation in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, so? Where... Uh, you know the president isn't great um, yes congress that is bitterly situation. divided <laughs> yes now i know what um, situation you're talking about i thought you meant my roommate situation <laughs> or something <laughs> i don't know what that is um you are going into the private sector yes because as we said as a republican you can do that without compromising your morals <laughs> um no what do you see is the media's role under the trump administration when the president consistently attacks the media and talks about the uh, journalist being the enemy of the people, or the exact words that he's used. What is a journalist's role of holding truth to power under this administration? Yeah, um, and I know I kind of was talking smack about the um, the journalists in today's world, but I also think, just like Paul Ryan, <laughs> that they have also been put in a very bad situation because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to maintain yeah. that journalistic integrity, yeah. and it's hard to be unbiased and report when you have the leader of the free world telling you that everything you're saying is fake news, everything is a lie. And so um, I don't want to say that none of it is the fault of journalism and media, but um, they, they are put in kind of a uh, sticky situation. And um, I would hope that they would rise above and, you know, stick to the facts. It's, I think more would get, I think news sources would accomplish more if they stick if they stuck more to finding out the truth and reporting things than having talking heads because every time a story does break where there are good facts and there is good support it's just overlooked because people say oh well Sean Hannity is just right. spouting off his opinions or Rachel Maddow is just you know saying whatever so Rachel Maddow needs to cool it with the tax <laughs> return by the way I will be completely fair with that yeah so I mean I think it's I think if there was a little less of the talking head pundits and a little more of the um, reporting and journalism. I think it would be, I think things would turn out a little bit better. And More print media? Yeah, yeah more well, print you know, media. The, Pick the, up a copy of the record every Friday, <laughs> please. Next year. The, uh, the president once got, once got spanked by a Wall Street Journal, so what a win for print media. 
lot of wins. <laughs> I say not dead inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very dead inside and facetiously. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else you want to say? No. Um, thank you for having me. Even yeah. Though I'm on the um, other side of the aisle. But we had we had a conservative on and we did not burst into flames. <laughs> so so I think it's like holy water, a, but it's a real win for bipartisanship here. <laughs> Yay, bipartisanship. <laughs> we didn't talk any policy, we yeah, just right. talked media. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mary, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Um, good luck in DC. It. Thank you. I'll good luck you in just Iowa, kidding. and I'll, I'll see you in DC. Yeah. And you should just get a job in DC, and we'll, we'll just see. we'll Someday. just start this up again. I can be your manager, and I really want us to one day be on opposite sides of like a like a comms campaign, and just get in like a Twitter war between each other. And people have us be like, oh, man, they must, like, really hate each other. We're can, like, can we practice no, now? Friends. Can we yeah. do a fake practice one now yeah. and then in real life? Okay, cool. Okay, I'm down for it. Okay. All right. Uh, we will be right back with the rant wheel. The rant wheel. And we're back. We made it once again. Yes, we did. It is time now for our final rant wheel. The rant wheel. Megan, what is on the rant wheel today? This is a loose show. Yeah, it's very loose. We're always fast and loose here, let's be honest. But um, we've got a few rantable topics today. So first we have apologies. Mm -hmm. Then we have people who make videos holding signs. (laughs) We have Ty Cobb's mustache. This is true. And Melania's plagiarism. Uh Are you ready? I am. We're spinning it. All right. (laughs) We're going to do people who make videos holding signs. Okay, people who make videos holding signs. (laughs) Here's the thing. Video is a visual and an audio medium. You do not need to hold up signs for me to read while watching your video. Just say the words that are on the signs. It is wholly unnecessary that you do this. I don't understand what you accomplish, except me having to take five minutes out of my day to read the stupid signs that you could have just posted pictures of. I wish you all could see Sydney because she's gesticulating so intensely right now. (laughs) She's got arms flying everywhere. She's almost falling out of her seat. Okay, don't be dramatic. But also, yes, all the people can visualize it. <laughs> I just, I want people to stop making videos of them flipping through signs. Also, some people do it way too slow, and I'm just standing there waiting for the other sign to go. Some people do it way too fast, and I'm like, well, I missed that other sign. I'm not going to finish your video. It's too late now. We're exiting out. <laughs> stop it. Stop. It's a stupid trend. It never should have started, and it should stop now. Why are you... The way that the you are. The buck stops with me. <laughs> the whole thing's going to stop now. The whole yes. trend stops because Sydney complained about it. Yes, because four listeners a week listen to the show live. And four people know four other people. And they know four other people. We just created our own pyramid scheme. <laughs> Nailed it. Boom. I knew oh this was going to happen eventually. That's all I have. That's on. Spin again. Okay. And we're spinning. Apologies. Apologies. Okay. This is actually semi-serious. Okay. I was watching a uh, David Letterman show on Netflix. My next guest needs no introduction. Uh, and his guest was Tina Fey. Love it. And she said something that really stuck out to me because Tina Fey is someone who has been hashtag problematic uh, throughout her career. She's done things that are, you know, not, not racist, but I think at least racially insensitive. Sure. Um, and, and done things that are questionable. Um, but one of the things she said is that we get stuck in a culture of apologies. And people apologize without actually changing their actions. And I think that, um, especially in the Me Too era, we're so set right now on demanding apologies from people without any expectation of people changing their actions. Sure. And to me, I'm more interested in the action change. So one of the things that Tina Fey said is that she recognizes where she's come up short uh, in you know previous works that she's done and she's worked to improve her other acts instead of constantly trying to apologize for everything people get mad at her about. Sure. And I think that this is something that internet culture has given us of like, uh, I'm going to demand an apology for you, but what is that actually going to change? Right. Because you don't know, you're not changing their internal like workings, the things right. that made them do that action they're like needing to apologize for, and you have no real accountability afterwards. Right. And I think it, it leads to this whole sense of... Um, of kind of this performative outrage that we talked about last week with the White House Correspondence Center of sure. you're mad and you want them to apologize, but what is that apology going to accomplish? Right. It's not going to change the fact that it's happened, but are you going to be focused on changing future behavior? And I think, um, you know, what 
Me Too and Time's Up have taught us is that it's not enough to demand an apology from the people who have perpetuated sexual assault and sexual harassment. We need to demand behavior change. Right. And so I just wanted to rant about apologies because we're stuck in this culture of apologies when we really need to be focused on behavior change. Apologies are always good. You should always apologize when you do something wrong. But the more important thing is the action that you take afterwards. And I feel like that's a basic five-year-old principle that we should know. That's okay. End of rant. That End one of, was more serious than end people of rant. videos. Yeah, that's fair. No, that's a good one. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, we got a couple more here. Uh-huh. Ty Cobb's mustache. Mm. That mofo. It's a <laughs> You could just complain about him. It's here's here's my thing about Ty Cobb's mustache. Alright, alright. It is a beautiful stash. Sure. Exquisite, really. Really? Yeah. It is very well quaffed. I very well. Pull it up now. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. He looks like the Monopoly man. <laughs> and <laughs> Ty Cobb is named I don't know if he's actually named after this, but um, he has the same name as a very racist baseball player. Yeah, I was going to say the first thing that came up with the baseball was the baseball player. And I was yeah. like, who the heck is that? And if you're going to have the same name as Ty Cobb, one of the most racist baseball players in the history of the MLB, which is amazing because the MLB is one of the whitest sports yeah. leagues, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, don't have a douchebag mustache on top of that that makes <laughs> you look like the Monopoly man. Yeah, it's kind of, I'm looking at it now and like it is very well quaffed and taken care of and yeah i do appreciate his um attention to, <laughs> to detail to personal hygiene and to uh <laughs> detail because it is also very he's got like a white you know those of you who can't visualize him he's got like a white hair and sort of like a white mustache yeah it's very clean uh-huh. looking it's got the little curly cues at the end curly he cues. does look like the monopoly man though he just you just put a top hat on that guy and you're like yeah. oh my god i have to in, go a, to in a monocle because he's wearing glasses in i have picture. to pass uh pass start and Collect two hundred dollars. Yeah, collect two hundred dollars. I bought all the railroads. I have a monopoly now. God, that game teaches us about greed. Yeah, it does. Capitalism Um, at its (laughs) finest, people. Monopoly. Monopoly, the game. Um, but yeah, I just think that if you're gonna basically be the villain of American government. (laughs) Don't be so obvious about it in I your mustache. I actually appreciate that he's being on brand because, like, we can look <laughs> at him and make a snap judgment and be correct. And, I, and that's very rare in today's... It is really rare, and I appreciate the ability for me to have the freedom to make that very unfounded judgment about you just based on how you look, and then your <laughs> actions match up. You can judge the book by its cover. And it just makes me feel nice and warm fuzzy inside, you know? I feel you. I feel you. So, All right. Uh, what is our last topic? We got one more. Melania's plagiarism. Oh, She's boy. back. Better than ever. Is she? <laughs> Copyright infringement. Here we go. So I think most of you probably remember. <laughs> Ending um, cyberbullying. Yes. I'm sure most of you probably remember at the Republic. I think I just rolled my eyes so hard my eyes got stuck in the back of my head. Are you okay? Can you see now? No. No. Nope. Go for to? it. Go okay. for it. Um, I think most of you probably remember the kind of famous debacle where um, Melania Trump gave a speech at the Republican National Convention two years ago. Um, oh my god, it's been that two years. That was two years ago? Yeah, two yeah. years ago this summer. Yeah. Ooh. Um, and people put it up next to the um, uh, one at the Democratic National Convention from 2008 that, or 2000, yeah, 2008 mm-hmm. that Michelle Obama gave. Mm-hmm. And they were almost word for word the same. Uh-huh. And they were like, oh my god, she plagiarized Michelle Obama's speech. Right. And then I think a speechwriter got fired over it, and it was yep. like a whole thing. And they're like, sorry, we won't do it again. Well, fast forward to 2018. Wait, are you going to tell me that she did it again? She, oops, I did it again. No. No. I took your speech. Uh. And used all those words in the same order. Oh, my God. No, so um, Melania Trump has just... Should have used EndNote. Major- Okay, so Melania Trump... Sight while you write, Melania. No, focus, focus, focus. I love sight while you write. I don't get it. I love it. Um, anyway, so Melania Trump came out to the Rose Garden mm-hmm. yesterday, two yep, days ago? yesterday. Yesterday. For, like, the first time in, like, since the administration has started, basically, she's, like, con- come out to, like, do her own policy initiative, which is really cool. That's something most first ladies do. She's a little late in the game, but whatever, you go. You do you. And her, her tagline is, be better, right? It sounds like a better deal. Yeah, it's like be, be best. No, it's be best. Sorry. <laughs> be best. Be best. And I don't think that's grammatically correct. No, it's fine. Whatever. Okay. She, and the whole thing is against 
cyberbullying. Yep. Particularly cyberbullying, but also like bullying in general. And she yep. came and she introduced it. And she gave a speech. Yes, she did. She gave a speech about it. And somebody was like, that sounds really familiar. Why like, does it sound familiar? Because it came almost word for word, for word, for word excuse me, from an Obama administra- oh administration uh, pamphlet on anti-bullying initiatives. So we're back. We're circling right back to pre-2016 election plagiarism full force and i mean nothing really happened after the the republican national convention like there was no that kind speech of, like, writer was fired but that's yeah about but it. that's it and nobody's gonna blame the, that like they're, they'll pick one person to be the scapegoat and they're gonna probably get fired yeah actually they won't at this point because nothing can there's nothing Look, stopping them at this point my thing about this is that uh i think we say this about a lot of things on the right wheel but in the grand scheme of things this doesn't mean much no um it's just another example of the you know what, this is our last show. It's another example of the stupidity of this White House. That it's it's a very basic thing to check your sources and to check yourself for plagiarism, um, especially as a comms or a speechwriter person. Right. Um, and this is just stupid. Well, and to me, it wasn't even about... It's just a dumb mistake. It, like, wasn't even, like... It feels like it wasn't, like, a mistake. Like, somebody actively took this right. pamphlet and was like, no one probably read it, right? And then, like, just recycled it. Yeah, and it's just... <laughs> <laughs> the number one thing you learn when you play sports is um, don't don't make errors because you don't need like self-inflicted wounds. Right. You know, um, that's going to be your biggest detriment when you're playing sports. And I feel like the biggest detriment to this White House has been self-inflicted wounds. Right. Whether it's stupid stories like this that, again, don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but it's just a, a dumb thing that's obviously going to gain traction and blow up on Twitter. Right. Whether it's Rudy Giuliani, uh, like, blowing his mouth. I don't even know what Rudy Giuliani is up yeah, to. Who knows? Um, whether it's something stupid that the president tweets. It's this bigger trend of this administration of just shooting themselves in the foot, and I will never understand it. No. And I mean, maybe someday when we do... Po- political science is about postmodernism, right? Right. So maybe someday, 10 years down the line, we'll have a biographer who figures it out. I feel sorry for the political scientists who are going to have to study this presidency. I think they're having the time of their lives right now. <laughs> are you kidding me? This is a crazy new oh, phenomenon. Oh, man. Wow. All right. That is it for the rant wheel. It really is. That's Good. a wrap on the rant wheel. <sighs> Goodbye, rant wheel. Rip rant wheel. Rip rant we wheel. We stole you from another podcast, but we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Um, All right, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we're going to close things out here. Yeah, we are. And wreck. We made it one last time. One last time we made it. One last time. All right, um, so we thought to end the show on a positive note and uh, go out not with a fizzle but with a bang. Yeah. As my favorite movie, Easy A, says. (laughs) Um, We thought we would talk about, answer the question, how do we stay hopeful in the current political climate? Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that I think we need to start there and because I think a lot of people will hear what we're saying and just it'll be empty to them if, right. we, if we don't recognize the fact that it's going to be difficult. And it does take a certain level of just kind of hootspa and saying like, yeah, I know things are bad. But if I like work hard, I get on that grind and I go out and vote, I work on a campaign, I call my senator's office, you know, stuff like that, it's going to get better. Right. Um, because this isn't a new phenomenon. Like, okay, the Trump era, it's bonkers. It's a new thing in a lot of different ways. But, like, in terms of, like, we've gone through rough patches politically, Yeah, not new at all. We've had dozens of these kind of scenarios happening in the past. And because we've created kind of an institute... Structures matter. <laughs> because the institutions we've created are so resilient, yeah. and um, it doesn't seem like they're open to change, but they have been very elastic throughout the years in order to accommodate scenarios like this, I think we're, we're going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now it's a trying time, and but there's always a hope of, like, I can be a part of a positive change right now because the right. only, only way we have to go now is up. Right. And we're going to go up. We are going to make it happen. You know, Dems will take back the House or the Senate, whether it's... Or in, both. Or both. And um, we'll have a Democrat in the White House again, and they're going to fix a bunch of the stuff that is now being broken. Mm-hmm. And it's a cycle. Everything is cyclical, and we need to recognize that we can be a part of the upswing. Right. Um, and we have to look at what 
all the obstacles that make it seem so hard and say, yeah, it's hard, but I'm big enough to conquer that. Right. You know? Was that uplifting enough for you? It was uplifting. Yeah? Do yeah. you feel uplifted? Yeah. I do my, pretty good. I do my best. Might be the champagne. Oh, there's that. Um, yeah. No, I agree with everything you said. I think, um, you know, this, this country is founded on a promise of we the people. Yeah. And when I look over the history of this country, when we the people was written, it didn't include either of us. Right. It didn't even include most of the country. But over the years, whether it was suffragettes fighting for their right to vote or mm -hmm. uh, people marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma for their right to vote or uh, LGBTQ protesters fighting for their right to equality uh, at Stonewall, we have expanded we the people to mean more and more of us. Um, and in, on November 4th, when Obama won in 2008, he talked about a woman in a speech um, and this, I was thinking about this because uh, his, I was watching a speech with a speechwriter, John Favreau, who talked about this. Um, but he talked about a woman named Ann Nixon Cooper, who in 2008 was 108 years old. And on that day, she waited in line for three hours to cast her ballot for the first black president of the United States. And I think about all we've accomplished in Ann Nixon Cooper's life, the rights that she was born with. She was a, a black woman. When she was born, she couldn't vote for two reasons. And I think about all we accomplished in Ann Nixon Cooper's time in this country, and I wonder what we can accomplish in ours. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a lot. And uh, I think that progress is not always going to be a, a steady climb up. Um, you know, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna come in and out. It's gonna, there's gonna be progress and we're gonna regress and we're gonna have to keep going. Um, but, uh, Martin Luther King said the arc of a moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And the important thing to remember is that the arc doesn't bend on its own. It takes a lot of us on one side pulling it to justice. And so if you stay engaged and you, you vote and you get involved on a campaign and uh, you call your members of Congress and you stay focused on the goal of bending that arc towards justice, we will be okay. Yeah. Um, but as soon as you get uh, scared, as soon as you decide that you just want to shut off and not listen to anything, um, that is when we are in danger in this country. And uh, to pull a Cory Booker and, and, and use one more quote, um, he uses a lot of quotes he when does. he speaks. Love you, Cory. I really think that he should hire me as a speechwriter because I do Senator too. Booker. Um, one of my favorite articles uh, that I actually wrote an opinion piece in the record about earlier this year. Uh, is called Political Paralysis by Danusha Veronica Goska. And one of my favorite quotes from that is when we study, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, um, but when we study the biography of our heroes, we learn that they spent years in preparation doing tiny, decent things until one moment propelled them towards greatness. And if we spend the next 20, 30, 40 years doing those tiny, decent acts until we propel ourselves to greatness, um, this country will continue to progress. Mm -hmm. And uh, we hear a lot about making America great again. I personally think this country is already great. Um, I, I certainly believe in, in a form of American exceptionalism that uh, looks at the progress that we've made over uh, history and allows us to be better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that if we remember that we are great because of the people in this country and because of the people who are continually fighting for progress, we're going to be okay. Yeah. And I don't think that there's ever a reason for us to lose hope in the future of this country. Yeah. yeah and I think you make a lot of points. I a hundred percent agree with you. I think, um, what's new here at <laughs> Yeah, proxy, but, um, I think that the echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, we've made it to the echo chamber. <laughs> we're trapped now. Um, but I think you make, yeah, you make a lot of good points and I think, yeah, being engaged is an active choice and it's, sometimes seems like very difficult but doing nothing is also an active choice yeah and if martin luther king you know or nelson mandela in south africa or you know all these activists who participated in civil rights movement who are participating in me too if they chose to sit at home we wouldn't have the kind of country we have today yeah so i think there's people out there that are going to become the next martin luther king and um that gives me a lot of hope i think yeah. and there are people our age or younger or slightly older than us they're young people and that's really exciting and I think tapping into that uh, potential is 
it's it's very we're gonna have a lot of great things come out of that and i'm really looking forward to it more than anything and that's what like when i see the news and i get kind of disappointed i remember that we've got a lot coming still yeah and it's important to look at that and be like yes we can in the words of my literal favorite human (laughs) we can do it and we should be actively trying to yeah move forward um to fawn over obama one last time on this podcast love it um jake tapper was on pod save america i believe last week maybe it was two weeks ago anyway he was talking about how uh presidents are always a reflection of our time so he said that you know john f kennedy inspired a generation to join the peace corps uh ronald reagan inspired a generation to um to wall street and to you know invest their money um, and become those CEOs and CFOs that run co- uh, companies and corporations, regardless of what you think of them. Um, I think that Obama's legacy will be inspiring a generation to run for office yeah. and to get involved in our government. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, I want to end by saying run for office, vote, get involved in campaigns, and call your representatives. Do you remember that in order for women to feel that they're good enough to run for office, we have to say it seven times? <laughs> right. So, run for office. Run for, run office. for office. Run for office. Run for office. Please run for office. Run for office. Run for office. There you go. We need more women in there. We Let's need, get some of those ladies in there. We need, we need more young people of color. We need to not make, you know, we need to take the Congress right now that looks like a snowbank. And <laughs> we need to give it some... It looks like Minnesota in February. We, actually, <laughs> we need to give it some... Uh, some femininity we need Mm -hmm. to give it some color and we need to kind of bring that to the forefront and we need to create a gender diversity right all genders recognized exactly all sexualities recognized we gotta bring that to the forefront and we gotta expand the legislative agenda and that's how we do yeah um i will always be a firm believer in yes we can Mm -hmm. um that year was what made me want to get into politics uh so i i mean i can never be pessimistic about the future of this country but you know, run for office. <laughs> All right. Uh, then that's that's it. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much to our loyal listeners. Yeah. Um, we'll, you know what? We'll miss you guys. Eh, maybe. <laughs> I'll miss you guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm taking a road trip with one of them next week. <laughs> we'll see if I'll miss her afterwards. <laughs> Sorry, I'll miss mom. you, Sydney's mom. <laughs> All right, uh, that's all the time we have. So, for the last time, free A by proxy, I'm Cindy McDevitt. And I'm Megan Mullen. Hey. Yeah. We made it. We made it. Bye, bye, little Sebastian. Your 5,000 candles in the wind. Maybe someday we'll saddle up.